What's up, sons and daughters? This is Sam Jesse, and I'm back with the crew from the Locks of Saturday. I got Chris and Robert on tonight. And tonight, for the final time, we are picking the ACC Coastal Division. We hate to see it go, but we love to watch it leave. Fellas, one more go around the sun for the Coastal. Are we, is it, are we sad? Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. It's beautiful. One one final spinning of the wheel of destiny and i cannot wait this is going to be the most obsolete podcast probably by week three that we usually ever do and i, I don't know we it. did record a podcast about the atlantic division and then sam hartman <laughs> has something happen to him the next morning yeah so actually later that night let's um real quick do you guys want to talk about that like sam hartman in indefinite whatever that means it could mean out for the year it could mean Grayson Allen indefinite where it's one game like we don't know um obviously it sounds like Wake Forest is going to play it safe but their over under for season wins has dropped significantly currently on the DraftKings Sportsbook it is at six and a half um with the over being at minus 150 the under being at plus 130 so that dropped uh, pretty significantly yeah that was uh two games it was at eight and a half just to clarify. Yes, and it seems like he won't miss the whole season. If you look at the games that he could potentially miss, you're looking at teams like, you know, Liberty, Auburn, excuse me, not Auburn, uh, Army, uh, although Auburn might not be very good this year either. Um, really weak non-conference. Again, we said it. Uh, Wake Forest schedules the Great British Bake Off, nothing but cupcakes. But, uh, yeah, I, I would take the over there. I don't love minus 150, but – if he's back in like six weeks, that can still be a nine win team. Like they don't play anybody before then. Yeah. So. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, looking at their schedule now it's VMI Vanderbilt Liberty to start. Those are three winnable games with a backup quarterback. They were going to lose to Clemson anyway, <clears throat> you know, Florida state. That's a tough game to not have Hartman for, but. Well, know, it would have been a tough it. game with Hartman. I mean, right, that's the exactly. easy W. Yep. But, and then after that it's army and then it's their bye. So like yeah. if they can get through that bye week, you know, then they hit the gauntlet of their schedule. And like you said, Sam, they bring back Hartman, they can win those games and you can get some real value there. Yeah. And if anybody can develop a quarterback, it is Dave Clawson. Uh, that offense just seems to be tailor made for guys to step in and really be successful early on. So uh, wishing the best for him. I, I thought he was going to be potentially in New York for the Heisman. Like he could have had a really, really special season. Hopefully he still does. And it only misses a few games. We're going to talk ACC Coastal. Uh, let's go over some of the preseason picks. Oh, look at this. Miami was picked to win the ACC Coastal like they are every year. Not really every year, but they were the uh, media's favorite, the ACC Football Writers Guild, as we dubbed them last week. 98 first place votes for Miami and second place Pittsburgh, the reigning champs with 38. North Carolina in third with 18. Virginia in fourth with six, Virginia Tech with third, Georgia Tech with one pick to win the Coastal. Don't know why. And then in dead last, Duke. Initial thoughts off the bat, that's pretty much what we thought it was going to be. I think the only things you could really flip are three through five could kind of finish in any order. But other than that, um, it's anybody's guess. Well, we were uh, talking about this before the podcast, but since uh, 2013, kind of at the end when Virginia Tech was routinely always usually picked to win the ACC Coastal, uh, since 2013, Miami has been picked 
now five times winning it once and then i think picked to finish second two more times so they've been in the top two of these picks every single year and it's always gone really well for them right right no the u is back I mean, the U might be back. We'll get into that. Um, if you're looking on DraftKings Sportsbook, the odds to win the ACC Coastal Division, Miami is at plus 155. Pittsburgh at plus 260. UNC at plus 380. Virginia plus 700. The Hokies at plus 1,000. And then Georgia Tech at plus 3,500. And then Duke at plus 20,000. Uh, we'll get into those schools. And let's start with the reigning champs, a team that is replacing a lot replacing their quarterback, their best wide receiver, and their offensive coordinator. It is the Pittsburgh Panthers. Their over-under for the year is set at 8.5, with the over being at minus 115 and the under being at minus 105. Pretty even odds there. Seems like sports books across the country, whether it be you know, DraftKings or FanDuel or Barstool, BetMGM, any of them, are kind of floating. It's going to be between 8 and 9 wins for Pitt this year. Robert takes away the Pitt Panthers without... Kenny Pickett. Ah, yes. Kenny Pickett. Now on to the greater program of Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, eight and a half year. I this is way too friendly of a line for Pitt. I think that people are underestimating just how much um they're losing offensively. Um, again, like you mentioned, Pickett, Addison, and what those two provided was kind of this offensive renaissance for Pitt, where you know, they had had a pretty mundane offense for pretty much the rest of the Narduzzi tenure leading until last year. And, you know, they started airing, airing it out. They had a great wide receiver and a quarterback that could get them the ball. And their offense was one of the best in the country last year. And it was awesome. And so that offensive coordinator leaves, but yet somehow Pat Narduzzi didn't seem to be satisfied with that offense. And he's been quoted and ranting about his former offensive coordinator saying, and I, I quote, our old offensive coordinator had no desire to run the ball. Everybody knew it. He was stubborn. Well, Pat, maybe you didn't need to run the ball because this is 2021, 2022. It was 2021 back then. Uh, and when you throw the ball on offense, you score more points. That's just how it works now. You know, this isn't 1985. And so because of those philosophical differences, I think Pitt is going to go back to the proverbial stone age offensively. Um, their defense will be nasty this year, no doubt. But like, this is going to be another one of those classic pit teams that, you know, they go seven and five because they just can't score. And so definitely take the under here. That's actually, this is my lock. We will put in the sound effect. I, I like that. That's a lock. I'm with you. I have them probably finishing eight and four. If I look at this team, they return a lot of good guys on defense. I think this will probably be the second best defense in the ACC. Um, It'll be up between them and NC State. But I just look and there's no obvious losses on their schedule. Like I think West Virginia and Tennessee, those will both be really hard fought games. Um, you know, Virginia Tech is never an easy game. North Carolina, Virginia, Duke, Miami, like their toughest game is probably at Miami to end the year. There's no obvious L's, but Keon Slovis is not Kenny Pickett. And what we've heard in the spring and in the summer the rumblings around Pitt with their local media. He's not winning the job that easily. This is still a quarterback battle up there. Now, will he win the, yes, he probably will win it, but it's 
it's not sold right now. And I think losing Mark Whipple is going to be really big for them because where Pitt succeeded was getting the ball out into space really quickly over the past few years. That hurt ACC defenses. If they go to a completely different scheme, completely different quarterback, they lose Jordan Addison, who's the best wide receiver in football. It's going to be really, really tough for them. They're going to have a very good defense, but I just don't see them doing what they did last year. Like they overachieved last year. And I I don't see them doing that with Keaton Slovis, who is a guy that Chris, you know, as a USC guy, like he's, he's not great. He's good. He has talent, but he's not great. And clearly he's struggling to win the position there. I also am, and you guys like Hokie fans like to rag on Pat Narduzzi, right? Like we don't like him very much, but even from a neutral standpoint, if you look at the comments he made about, as you said, about Mark Whipple in the game against Wake Forest, where they scored 40-something points, then also the comments he made about the Orange Bowl against Michigan State, where, oh, well, if we had those players, all oh, that. He went out of his way to say those comments. Like, he wasn't asked those comments by, re- asked those questions directly by reporters. He went out of his way. Coaches who feel really confident about their team don't lash out like that. You don't hear coaches of winning football teams talk like that. And I'm, this might be more of a rebuilding year for Pitt than what people think. I still think they're a very good team. Their defensive, uh, defensive backs are really, really good, but I have them at eight and four. Uh, and I think the coastal might come down to that game uh, at Miami on November 26th. I am going to be in agreement with the under uh, eight wins. It, uh, I was actually thinking even lower than that originally uh, just because of everything that I was looking at on the offense until I finally had to talk myself into the fact that they do have an elite defensive line. Uh, linebackers are, you know, kind of good, not great, uh, but Pitt has also never really been known as like an elite linebacker type team. And then of course the secondary Sam, as you mentioned, is really good as well. So the, the, the funny thing for me was just, this wasn't a year going in where they also had a good offensive line, but no real skill player or running back. So it was resembling what I would consider to be what we normally think of a pit team, which is solid defensive identity, run the ball. You have Frank Signetti Jr. coming in who, I mean, no one's really bouncing, you know, their future kids on their knees talking about the Frank Signetti Jr. offensive coordinating capabilities compared to Mark Whipple. So I just feel like they're going to be probably a pretty stale type offense, not really dynamic Uh, relying really well on their defensive side of the ball to win ugly. And I just don't think that's sustainable uh, to win at a high level uh, in today's day and age. Um, As, you know, Irby alluded to uh, just earlier, it's 2021. You have to be able to throw the ball. Um, And as the Keaton Slovis resident expert for here, someone who's actually stayed up late and willingly watched USC football games, I just wanted to put this into perspective for some people. Uh, 2019 came around. He was a true freshman and he started and took everybody by surprise. And what people didn't remember that that was also uh, Graham Harrell was a first time offensive coordinator coming into the Pac-12 and implemented the air raid offense. So there was going to be volume in production there no matter what. He actually beat out, um, I believe it was JT Daniels at the time for the job. Now with that, you're running an air raid and open spread Pac-12 defense is not being able to tackle very well and these were his three weapons michael pittman amon ross st brown and drake london those are three pretty good pass catchers those are extremely good pass catchers and guess who he does not have even who would be considered 
uh, somewhat of a major plus uh, with no Addison this year. There's no one else even remotely close to that here in a much more closed offense. I just don't see it. Um, so at eight and a half wins, um, the uh, last thing I did was I looked at just Pitt as a program. Like usually you are kind of what you are. Uh, they won 11 games last year. They hadn't won 11 games since 1981 with Dan Marino. So I go, okay, well, how many times have they won double digit? Uh, 10 wins at least. Well, once back in 2009. So how many times have they won nine wins? Three other times during that exact same 40 year time period. This just isn't a team that really routinely wins nine plus games. So with a line at eight and a hover, eight and a half, I'm taking the under. Uh, it's just more than likely going to happen. In addition to the fact that we just laid off a laundry list of issues with their offense and just coaching staff as a whole. So everything put into the, the blender that is pit football, I don't see it happening. Major regression candidate, uh, eight wins at most. The one thing you could say for Pitt this year that points to them going over is their offensive line might be a bit of a differentiator. Um, they return all six offensive line starters. All six will be seniors. They should be able to run the ball a bit better. Um, Israel Abanaconda is pretty good. If they can run the ball a bit more, take some pressure off slow, Slovis, slow the game down, less possessions. I mean, they'll have to play totally different than they did last year, but if they do that, there is the opportunity for them to be a really good football team this year. So we'll find out a lot about them pretty quickly. Um, oh, also another point on Pitt. Uh, sorry, we're, we're talking about Pittsburgh a lot tonight, but real quick, four of their last six games are on the road. Usually Pitt likes it where cold weather, terrible weather in Pittsburgh in November, late October, get teams from the South up there to play in the slop, to play in the cold. They usually capitalize on that. We'll not have that opportunity this year. So keep that in mind. All right. The next team south of Pittsburgh. Yes, we are going north to south again this year is the Virginia Cavaliers, whose over under is set at seven, dead on at 7.0. The over being at even odds plus 100, the under being at minus 120. Robert, a lot to talk about here. Yes, there is. Yeah. So this line here at seven, this is another one of those. Uh, lines where honestly I kind of look at it and I almost feel like seven and five would be a pretty you know pretty plausible outcome for UVA so you kind of have to look at that number and say okay you know which is more likely now eight and four or six and six and eight and four just feels eight wins feels like a lot for a UVA team that did go six and six last year and you know has a new head coach um, and I think an important note about this isn't just any sort of head coach transition you know as 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 much success as Bronco Mendenhall and his uh, staff had, like they had very unique philosophies and, and recruited very specific types of players in particular. Offensively, I look at how just how much they threw the ball and they never really utilized the run game. And so their recruiting affected that, right? And so, you know, they, they don't have, their offensive linemen are not good run blockers whatsoever. They, they've never really had a strong running back. Um, I know they've brought in a transfer or two, but... I think as good as an offensive mind as Tony Elliott is, I think at least in this first year, you're going to see it's almost going to be like fitting square pegs into round holes where he's going to be trying to make his own philosophies fit into a system that in a group of players that it doesn't quite fit with. Um, and so I do think they'll have a lot of success offensively throwing the ball. I mean, they're bringing back Armstrong and almost all of his targets and it'll be a prolific passing offense. 
but they don't protect him well with that offensive line either. And the problem with UVA schedule is they tend to do this. They tend to backload their schedule um, and, and just kind of give themselves a gauntlet at the end of the year. And we saw that last year where they started six and two and finished six and six. Um, and so their first seven games are pretty winnable. I could see them coming out of that stretch five and two, maybe in six and one, but then they finish with Miami, North Carolina, Pitt, coastal Carolina and Virginia tech with, you know, Armstrong taking a lot of hits. He'll be worn down by that point. I think they're lucky if they win two of those games. Um, so I think, you know, a push at seven is likely, but an under is also pretty likely here. I think that's the play. Robert, you literally took my first bullet point. Those last five weeks are absolutely brutal, and they're against teams that UVA has struggled with in the past, especially Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech and Coastal Carolina. Grayson McCall is not only probably the best group of five quarterback, he might be a top 10 quarterback in the country. Dude can play. And if they have continued, they lost a lot. They probably won't be as good as they have been, but yeah, that's that's a really tough game, especially sandwiched in between Pittsburgh and a road trip to Virginia Tech. Uh, I am same same thing that we had with Boston College, where you have the quarterback play, you have the weapons, but there's no offensive line. That's really scary. I think if you're an over better, and needing Virginia to win eight games this year, when they had more talent on the team last year, and went six and six, I just don't see it. Um, I, I think this is a really easy underplay. Uh, I think they're a six and six team. They're going to make a bowl game probably like just, I mean, they get to play Richmond, Illinois, and Old Dominion to start the season. They're probably going to start three and oh, they're going to have some momentum. I think Brennan Armstrong, and I watched a lot of UVA football last year for work. I, I think he is an absolutely phenomenal quarterback. Like he does everything, he can make every throw, he can run. He can orchestrate an offense. Like I think he's absolutely phenomenal. He will win them football games. But I also look at some games last year. They beat Miami because Miami couldn't make a field goal. Uh, they beat Louisville because Louisville couldn't make a field goal. They almost threw away the Georgia Tech game. Uh, I, I'm not super-duper sold on UVA's bowl season last year. So give me six and six. That feels right. Uh, we'll see what Tony Elliott's made of. A lot of criticism came his way last year because turns out when he didn't have Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence as quarterback, his offense wasn't that good. So we'll see what the offense looks like. Chris, your thoughts on the Wahoos. <laughs> it's funny because each of the points, and, and we're all probably going to think the same way. And obviously the schedule uh, backloading was one of my first ones as well. So great minds do think alike in this instance. Um, and I did have what Irby was alluding to, seven wins as a push. I was actually leaning into a push. I just changed my pick. I'm going under six wins, and I'm going to put that as a lock. I'm going under with six wins at a maximum, and I'm going to put that as my lock. Um the biggest thing for me, and I just thought about this, and Irby, you brought up a good point about square peg uh, round hole with the players. I'm going to go with square peg round hole with the staff as well. So this is this is a staff that you know you bring in Des Kitchings. He wants to run this uh, basically a run almost pro style kind of level of offense. They got rid of Robert Nene. He is gone. He is, I believe, in Syracuse now. Um, they now have a kind of like almost like an anything, but in terms an air raid S style kind of level of quarterback, or maybe kind of like an RPO uh, level of quarterback. 
in an offense with no offensive line, with an OC that now wants to run the ball with no running backs. Um, and so I just, I don't know what that is. Uh, great wide receiver talent, you know, Brandon Armstrong, when he is going, he is going well. Um, but it, it just, none of that really aligns and makes sense. And all of this is based under what Tony Elliott wants to do, which is attract five stars to run simple plays well at a high level. Um, and then you look on the defensive side, and it's kind of the same thing. This was an awful defense that didn't get better. They went out and they hired service academy staffers to kind of supplant a lot of those position coaching rooms along the defense. And these are position coaches who essentially had to try to win games at service academies with offenses that hold the ball for 80% of the game, uh, which makes your defense just look a little bit. We just saw this with what happened at UNC with their former defensive coordinator. I think it was Bateman. Um, who's no longer at UNC anymore because you can't run uh, that style level or whatever they want to do schematically on defense when your offense isn't doing the thing it needs to do to support that defense. Uh, so I just, I just, there's misalignment, not only with the players, but with the coaches. And in year one, I think it's more of a rebuild than a lot of people are giving it credit. And I think seven wins is uh, almost a gift at this point to bet the under. Um, and so six wins, it, it seems Yes, the beginning of the schedule uh, looks soft. Uh, I think that is probably a misnomer. They do have some tougher than uh, games that I think they could probably lead on. And then uh, we've all said it. The last part of the schedule is, is brutal and it doesn't leave any room for error. So if they're going to get to uh, seven wins, they need to win six in the first two months. And I don't see that happening. Yeah, I agree with you there. Another point on UVA, they do lose Nick Jackson, who is there probably their best defender last year. I was really impressed with his ability as like a ball hogging linebacker. He's at North Carolina now. All right. We're going to save Virginia tech for last. Let's go to the next school South. That would be Duke Duke. One of the many schools in the ACC that has a new coach this year, they bring over Mike Elko, the Texas A&M defensive coordinator. I think that was a really good hire. I think Duke kind of punched above their weight there, but this roster is uh, it's a, it's an FCS roster. Like, let's be real. It really is. It's not even a group of five roster. They are really bad. Like when that team played Virginia, Virginia Tech in their inept offense last year probably could have scored 60 points. Uh, that was really, really bad. So, Robert, let's talk about Duke. The over-under is set at three. The over is at minus 105. The under is at minus 115. The Duke Blue Devils, what are we thinking? This is... Uh... This is really tough because three is such a low number. It's a very small number. I mean, yeah. gosh. Well, this is another one much like this UVA line where, you know, you almost feel most comfortable with the push. Um, and so, again, looking at it, losing 10 games is very difficult to do. And look, I know that this was one of the worst rosters in the in Power 5 last year. I, I understand that. But... I think if I had to choose a more likely scenario for Duke, it would be that they go over. I think four wins is a decent enough play. Um, and it's not that much to ask for. You know, they, the fact that they do play Temple and North Carolina A&T in their non-conference, as well as Northwestern and Kansas, who, though they're Power 5 teams, they are weaker Power 5 teams. You know, win a couple of those, maybe three of them, and then now you can hopefully they don't go completely over in the ACC, right? I mean, we'll they talk, did last year. Yeah, but we'll talk about it in a minute. I think Georgia Tech's going to be worse. So there's a win. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I know this doesn't sound like the strongest argument in the world, but I just don't think that they, I think they can only go up. And I really like Elko and I like what he brings to the table. I think that they've just got some, you know, more modern brains um, in the, in the room now um, that can kind of see football beyond the year 2012. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this is the start of a very long process for them, but it will get just a little bit better. I think this is a really, really bad football team guys. Like I think they are, this might be one of the worst fo- ACC football teams since the ACC's expansion in like 2007 when Louisville and Pitt came in. Like they're very, very bad. Um, however, three is a very small number. Temple's a really bad team. I think they can beat Temple at home. North Carolina A&T is, is not good at the FCS level. They'll win that one. At Northwestern's going to be tough for them. That's going to be a really physical team. We'll, we'll see a lot about them week zero when they play Nebraska, but that's not an easy win. I, I don't think they win at Kansas. I, I, I don't think they win that game. Leopold's a good coach and Kansas actually returns some talent. Kansas has three players that got all big 12 honors this year. Are we going to make Brett live tweet that game again? Cause we I definitely mean, should. I think we should. He's not here for this one. So <laughs> yeah, we'll speak on his behalf. We'll speak on his behalf on that. Have fun, one. Brett. You're doing oh, it. Are we going to call that uh sicko bowl too? That's it's, that's a beautiful, beautiful game. Kansas Super sicko bowl. Yeah. Um, there are some people who are going to buy tickets for that game thinking it was a basketball game, but it's not. Uh, I'm going to push here. I'm going to push under. I, Robert, I think you're right. Like betting a team to go under two, I mean, under three, it is like really tough. You're asking, you're asking a lot at that point. I think they can beat either Kansas or Georgia Tech, maybe. Um, and then we saw last year, like, you know, they embarrassed themselves against pretty much everybody else last year, actually. Yeah. They lost by three to Charlotte. That was a tough loss. I'm going to push baby. I'm going to push for three and think that Elko does something. He's smart enough defensively to confuse some offensive coordinator, and they're just going to whimsically win a game to get to three. Like it might be. It's probably Phil Longo. <laughs> no. No, I don't. I don't actually. I think they. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take it back. I think they win two games. I think they're two and ten. I don't see another win on here, guys. I see Temple and A and T. That's it. They're two win football team. Book it. I'm. I'm gonna buy into Irby's overwhelmingly analytical argument and take the four wins with the over here. Although I don't like it. Uh, I, I, Sam, everything you're saying is correct. Um, and here's my hot take. I think they get to four wins by the end of October and then that's it. I just, that makes a lot of sense actually. I just, David, we, we are, I think we are underestimating just how just out of it at that point, David Cutcliffe was running the ship going into age 67. I think he's turning 68 by the end of the year this year and running Duke at that just end of your career, uh, at that point of your life. I just think it was too much. There was just nothing there that was going well. It was just the complete, uh, just pure, like just program that was just floating through a schedule. There was nothing going on there. Um, And I just feel like Elko raises that bar 
just that much. We're not talking about a significant improvement. We're talking from three to four forecasted wins, uh, plus or minus one game, even if you go with Sam's two. Uh, so I, I just, he was prior offensive, me defensive coordinator at Wake Forest. Wake Forest during those mid 2010s runs was actually projected always to be pretty bad. But the best thing about them was their defense. And that was because of Mike Elko. And that's at a very similar situation as an institution than it is at trying to win at Duke. I, I consider that kind of somewhat semblance on par. I know the facilities at Wake are kind of improving a little bit more so than Duke, but all things being equal, they're the exact same program in my eyes. Um, obviously just institutionally, not necessarily under Clawson versus Elko. Um, and so I just feel like he comes in and he raises the bar to increase the level of competency and competition on the roster. And they're able to squeak out four wins. That is it. That's all I'm asking for is four wins. Uh, I wish this line was at three and a half so I could take the under at three, but I'm going to hold my nose and think that they're not that bad that I have to look at them possibly try to win two games. So that's my pick. I don't like it, but that's what I'm going with. It's definitely an uphill climb. I actually do hope Elko does well there because I think the ACC could really use Duke not being terrible. They don't need to be good, but if Duke is pushing for a bowl game, like pushing for five, maybe six wins every year, I think that really helps the helps the conference overall, especially um, in these very uncertain conference times. All right, next school, 10 miles, 10 miles south, Chapel Hill. North Carolina. The over-under is at seven and a half, the over being at plus 105, the under being at minus 125. Robert, has the media finally figured out that UNC is nothing but glitz and glamour? Nah, seven and a half is still too high. Yep, agreed. <laughs> Tell yeah, us why, Robert. Under. Tell us why. Well, I think seven and five is a number that makes a lot of sense here. I think, well, I think you're going to see a lot of coastal teams at seven and five, but that's neither here nor there. Is this the year where everyone goes four and four? We have seven, a seven way tie at the top at four and four. We should talk about that because it is very plausible with how the schedule sets up. I was yep, looking at that, but go, go on talk about the heels. Um, you know, I, I do think that the loss of Howell, I think it's kind of wild that Sam Howell by the end of his career actually became pretty underrated. Um, you know, I think the narrative out there was that Sam Howell had had this massively disappointing season last year. And I just don't think that was the case. Like statistically, um, his numbers were on par, if not better than they had been in his career, especially as, as a runner. Um, it's really the rest of his team and his coaching staff that let him down last year repetitively, the defense in particular. Um, I do think the defense will improve just as they were pretty young last year. And so it's natural that they could improve slightly, but I'm just not a fan of this UNC coaching staff. I think, like you said, glitz and glamour. Um, and when it comes down to it, um, when it comes down to it, yeah, Mac Brown's just going to disappoint. That's just what happens. Um, and I, that's not a statistical breakdown, but it's just, it's just a matter of fact. Um, and so if you're expecting UNC to win eight or nine, that means they're going to win six or seven. So yeah, have as no, low expectations as possible. No reason this team should win eight games. I mean, they couldn't do it with Sam Howell. They couldn't beat Virginia Tech with Sam Howell. They're not going to do it with um, really, it doesn't matter who else. Like they are a, they have not developed one of those recruits, not one of them. And you're also looking at a team that lost their best wide receiver and also their starting running back to season ending injuries, which is never fun, but this is not a good team. This is also a defense that I think 
is low key. Uh, everyone talked about how bad UVA's defense was last year. UNC's with as many four and five star recruits as they have, they were the 94th ranked total defense in the country last year. They were 105th in scoring defense last year. And they even held Virginia Tech to 17 points, and they were still 105th in scoring defense last year. I don't see this team winning eight games. I think it'll be tough for them to win seven games. If you look at their schedule in the non-conference, they have to travel to Boone to play App State, which is going to be horrible. I, yeah. I love App State in that game. App State money line is bet of the year. <laughs> We're getting there, but that is, yep, that is bet of the year. And they have to play Notre Dame. I mean, they have a stretch where they play Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, and then Miami. That's tough. Um, this is a team that very well could be like three and three to start the year. So I do not like the over for UNC, even at plus odds. Don't like it. Get any positivity around UNC away from me because this is an underachieving team. This might be the last year that the hype around UNC is there because I do not think Mac Brown is going to be the head coach there for much longer. I wholeheartedly agree, Sam. Uh, uh, definitely, once again, Irby, with your, your fantastic analysis as well are, are extremely convincing. Um, I, I penciled in six wins in the under pretty easily. Uh, I do wonder how low the floor could be beneath that based off of everything that everybody outlined prior to this. Um, I, I have to start out. Why would I, Virginia Tech fans are still up in arms that we play at ODU and at Liberty, but at least we can have some semblance of, at least we're playing in the Commonwealth for both games. And you'd mentioned the at App State, App State game, but they're also traveling to at Georgia State, down in Atlanta. And Georgia State is not a bad Sun Belt team. They're a tough team than people would lead on to believe. So you start off your season with at App State and at Georgia State, two solid to a not above average Sunbelt team before you even start getting into the meat of your schedule in the beginning of it. So when I looked at that, knowing that their offensive line, they did replace Stacey Searles, but their offensive line is still one of the worst, not just in the ACC, but in the coastal. And none of these players have developed Two, their defensive line talent isn't up to par for where it needs to be. And yes, they did replace Bateman. When I talked about them having a service Academy level defensive coordinator, to start off the Mac Brown era. And his big pivot was Gene Chizik coming in as defensive coordinator, who I'm pretty sure this is a hire based off the fact that he was with Chizik in 2006 and seven in Texas. That's pretty much it. And oh, by the way, Gene Chizik is not coming in with this kind of dynamic concept of new defense and everything. He's 60 years old to Mac Brown, 71 years old. So I have this as like my quote unquote Mac Brown will be, uh, let's call it, um, politely, quote-unquote, resigned by the end of the year. And I just I see this going in that direction for every single reason that all of you laid out, which is he is always going to be known as the guy who was going to bring in a top-level talent, never developed him, never turned around the program. This was just a nostalgia hire from what he did in the late 90s. And guess what? When the... Uh, I guess adversity meter ticked up in North Carolina Chapel Hill. He is making nostalgic hires to try to just save whatever is left of a UNC program that all, you know, all, albeit with the last few recruiting classes is heading in the complete wrong direction. So 
Um, I don't see any of this turning into some sort of unlikely turnaround from the prior two seasons. And they even come close to sniffing eight games, which would be the over. Um, I think they're going to have to fight for the life to get to seven. And I think it's pretty likely based off of everything that they try to even week out six, maybe five wins total. So uh, this is another under. Uh, this was another lock for me. Um, and it was actually pretty easy to make. And it never hurts to just try to fade UNC. So I do have to correct myself. Um, it was Noah Taylor, the linebacker who went from UVA to UNC. I, I misspoke while reading my magazines and notes and all that jazz. Noah Taylor, good player. Um, we'll see how he does in, in Gene Chizik's defensive scheme from 2006. All right. Next to we've talked about these guys a little bit. Georgia Tech, the over-under is at three and a half. The over is at even odds plus 100. The under at minus 120. The Yellow Jackets, Jeff Collins has won three games in his three seasons at Georgia Tech. Does he win four, Robert? No. Are you guys not sensing the pattern? He wins three years or three games every year. doesn't matter how many games he plays. If he plays three, three games, he will win three games. If he plays 30 games, he will win three games. This is just what happens. It's going to happen again. They're terrible. I, I think we talked about it on a previous podcast, uh, or one we did earlier this summer, but like their schedule is ungodly difficult. Um, yeah, there aren't very many wins in there. Um, and especially, you know, if they're giving them the extra half game here compared to a team like Duke, I think Georgia Tech and Duke are going to be pretty comparable teams this year and how bad they are. Um, and to have Georgia Tech be given that extra half game to where now you can make money on that three, mm, that's that's a play. That's a big time play. If I hadn't have already made my lock, I would make this the other lock. You can make two locks. I don't. All right, fine. Double here. lock. Boom. Boom. Double lock. Uh, yeah. Do do two chachings for that one. Okay. Got it. Two chachings. Got it. Um, I'm on the under two. This is a three win team. They have a gauntlet of a schedule. They start it with Clemson. They play Ole Miss. They play at Central Florida, then they play at Pitt. They end the season at Florida State, at Virginia Tech, Miami, at North Carolina, at Georgia. Um, this is a two-win team. They're not good. They don't have as much talent as I think we thought they were going to have by this point. We thought the recruiting would tick up a bit more, and they just don't have it. They've had guys transfer away. They have not been able to develop out of the triple option on the offensive line. That is the biggest thing. They have not recruited offensive line. They have not developed offensive line. And there is no, there's no one there for them to block. Jeff Sims is actually very, very talented. And I hope he stays healthy this year because he's really fun to watch. But I do not think he will be able to stay upright this year. They have some athletes, but I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. Give, give me, this is probably a two and 10 team. They might be a three win team, but not good. I think they can beat Western Carolina. Other than that, everything's a toss up. I'm in complete agreement. And I had under two wins and I also have a, do, a, a double lock, a triple lock. What are the kind of locks that are out there? Some sort of like, uh, you remember the club that used to go on your steering wheel? You know what I'm talking about? That kind of red out. Is that is that is that an older generation? Do people not remember that? Yeah, man. Sorry, we weren't we weren't around in 1975. You guys don't was know it what coal <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. Everybody, just go to your Google machines right now and look up the club and how it used to stretch across your steering wheel. And people used to think that this was something that would actually keep people from stealing your car. Nevertheless, uh, 
everybody made all of the same points that I make. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse here other than it wasn't even the fact that he, the narrative was that he was bringing in talent. And I think I even uh, uh, said the same and that he was getting Georgia tech in a good direction as a program, you know, even though they weren't having success on the field and three wins, Oh, they're recruiting. They were bringing in recruits. And then you go back and look, and it was essentially one good recruiting class. It was 28 in the nation. It was in 2020. Uh, Jameer Gibbs and Jeff Sims were like the top end of that class. One of them is gone. One of them might be deleted from the planet after it has to face Clemson and Georgia in the same season, as well as some of the other defensive lines this year with how bad their offensive line is. Um, so everything marries up. Uh, they can't coach. They can't develop. Um, and basically, Jeff Collins has kept his job based off of one good recruiting class. So I had this kind of thought process of, Jeff Collins is the Mike London of Mac Browns. So I'm going to leave everybody with that. I'm going to go with two wins. Uh, you can think about it and stew on a little bit. It'll make more and more sense to you as you keep on thinking about it, but it, they, they are destined to be the worst team in the ACC this year based off of all those factors. Now I have a headache. I feel like, I feel like Charlie in that episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia, like with the Pepe Silvia board, just trying to connect these dots between these three coaches. Um, should I give my Georgia tech take that I've been sitting on for a few months? Go for it. Pinned in our no time tape. like the present. So Jeff Collins is, we can all agree. He's probably done at Georgia tech after this year, unless a miracle happens. I was going to say, I have him and I wrote here in my notes. He doesn't make it out of the end of October. No, he doesn't. And I think they'll probably give an interim guy, one of the coordinators, something like that, like Virginia tech did last year. Might do something, might not, but Georgia Tech needs energy around that program. They need someone to come in and capitalize on the recruiting hotbed. Jeff Collins has not done that. He's gotten some guys, but he clearly has not been able to put together a roster. There is a coach at the FCS level that is worshipped in the city of Atlanta. He is a little bit wacko. He's a little bit crazy, but a pretty darn good football coach, it looks like. He's an elite recruiter, and people really, really love him. And I think it's very possible that he has realized that he has a very thick glass ceiling at the FCS level and might be looking for the next jump. So that's why I think it is not unlikely that Deion Sanders gets at least interviewed for the next head coach at Georgia Tech. I think we need to get ready for that. It is very un-Georgia Tech. Um, They are um, basically, if you just took the entire Virginia Tech engineering department and you took out all of the cool kids, you'd be left with Georgia Tech. But I think that is a school that loves football, is desperate to win, and knows they are sitting on a gold mine. And Deion Sanders might be the guy. I would absolutely love that if Georgia Tech was run by the Florida State Athletic Department Administration and Boosters. I would say it makes complete sense. But Georgia Tech, it would shock me as their version of themselves, which is this kind of higher level academic institution. I I don't see that happening, but it makes perfect sense to do so. It is. It It would be a great it would be a great Disney movie. 
Well, I love, oh, yeah, okay, Disney Plus, absolutely. Uh, I love that theory, Sam, and I think it actually might start to be put into motion. I think should we that, start that rumor? I think, listen, I think that Collins gets fired mid season. I think yep. the rumors start churning up around mid November, and just when it seems like prime time is going to go coach at home in Atlanta, another job opens up, and that job is the school where he played that Chris just mentioned. And it's Florida State. I don't. I don't think so. I think Florida State swoops in and steals them away. The homecoming. I. I don't. The know. real homecoming. <laughs> I. Uh, are, are are we in? Are we in locks of mid December right now? Maybe. We maybe, go in this. Maybe. There's no point of talking about Georgia Tech's current season. I mean, they suck. They're terrible. No. <laughs> they're they're awful. Um, yeah. Well, we'll find out. But lock it in. Deion Sanders will coach in the ACC next year. I like it. Talk about getting TV contracts. Talk about some leverage. We got Deion Sanders on the sidelines. All right. Well, we'll go to another school that has no shortage of off-the-field shenanigans and is, I'll tell you what, there there are two cities that love Miami football. Number two is Miami, Florida, but the number one city in America that loves Miami football is Bristol, Connecticut the home of ESPN and Miami is still being hyped up this year. The over under is at eight and a half with the over being at minus minus one thirty-five. the under at plus plus one fifteen. Robert Mario Cristobal comes from Oregon. Good coach. Definitely some question marks. He didn't really get the job done at Oregon, but former Miami player, Miami guy coming back. Yes. I am saying the exact same thing they said with Manny Diaz, but here we are. Um, oh, I also, that's what they said with Mark Rick too. So I don't know, Miami over under eight and a half. Yeah. The tough part, it's impossible to gauge Chris Doball here because he's, I mean, it's un he's unequivocally one of the, what top 10 recruiting head coaches in the country. I mean, yep. he knows, he knows how to get guys. Um, to come to where he is. And now, especially the fact that now he's at the place where he played, um, he's going to recruit well. And I do think he's put an incredible staff around himself. You know, you're looking at Josh Gaddis and Kevin Steele as his coordinators. That's pretty good. I mean, Josh Gaddis did win the uh, uh, Broyles Award last year, the Assistant Year Award. Couldn't remember the name. That said, I am going to lean under here. I think eight and four is that number. And if you look at their schedule, their non-conference is pretty favorable. You know, they've got Bethune-Cookman, Southern Mississippi, and Middle Tennessee State. Those should all pretty easily be wins. They do have this game on September 17th at Texas A&M. That's a bit of a toss-up. That is an opportunity for them to maybe make a splash. I think that if they were to win that game, it would go over. But I don't think that that's the more likely scenario. So I think that they go under because they lose that game. And then along the way in the ACC, they go about five and three. Whether they win the Coastal, uh, you know, I'll uh, answer that question later. But I think they're probably the second best team in the Coastal at least. Go five and three. Solid year, eight and four, but not quite what they're hoping for. I said a few days ago on Twitter that I was seeing the ACC very clearly. That was before Sam Hartman, but I still think I'm seeing it very clearly this year. And it hurts to say this. I feel stupid saying this, but Miami might be a really darn good football team this year. If you look at bringing back Tyler Van Dyke, 
there are some questions at the wide receiver position, especially replacing Charleston Rambo, but this team has a lot of talent up front. They have a lot of talent defensively. And what Mario Cristobal will do is he will put together a good defense. I'm a little bit worried about the toughness of Miami this year. Coming in with a new coach, Cristobal is one of those coaches that he talks tough. He gets in players' faces and yells, but his teams are always pretty soft. We saw that with Oregon. Like If they played Utah or a competitive team in a bowl game, they just got absolutely whipped up. So that's to be seen. I think we'll figure that out when they play Texas A&M. Even if they lose that game, I think we'll learn a lot about Miami. But even chalking that up as an automatic L, um, I like Miami's over here. I really do. I Miami's my pick to win the Coastal. They could win it running away. That's all I have. I mean, if they take care of their easy Ws, it's an easy over. I mean, if they take care of the games that they should, which they never do, but, I mean, if they take care of North Carolina and Virginia Tech, those are two teams that they should beat. If they take care of Florida State this year, this is, this is probably a 10 or 11 win team at the end of the season. Sam, I'll agree with that last point, too. Uh, over under eight and a half, so I have the over nine wins. Um, this one, actually, I didn't really think too much about. It. I actually came to it pretty quickly. Uh, best talent, best quarterback, and now the best coach slash coaching staff in the entire ACC. And I, I don't really feel like that's hyperbole saying it. Uh, I, looking at what Josh Gaddis could have gotten in terms of really salt, I mean, just like lower level group of five or power five type jobs. He was being considered for elite top end power five jobs and, and Kevin Steele as well. Like he, he wasn't necessarily an afterthought, probably not at the level that Gaddis is getting, but um, you're putting all of this together on a team that already has talent. And so, yes, the biggest issue was, quote unquote, unquote, the softness or some of those kind of more, I would call them like cultural type toughness type issues. Um, And maybe at Oregon, but not with the type of talent and the kids that you have at Miami. Uh, I just feel like there is a complete difference between, you know, a product of kids from the West Coast versus, you know, South Beach. Uh, And I don't think um, they'll have that much of an issue for trying to hype up the team and get them to perform on Saturdays at Miami as he was previously having uh, when he was at Oregon. Um, it, this, this just, it, it, it screams like a horrible pick because it's Miami. Um, I, I believe when I was talking earlier about since 2013, Miami as the coastal preseason favorite pick has happened. This is now the fifth time um, they've been the second uh, favored uh, team in the coastal three other times. So you're looking at, Oh, was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? This is now the eighth time, not counting the uh, um, the COVID year, that Miami has been favored out of the nine years. Um, so it's it, and they've only won once, um, and they haven't placed well uh, the other year. So yes, but then you go back and you look at who they have. You're talking about um, the Al Golden years. Um, you're talking about just some pretty horrible coaching staffs, not the talent level or the excitement around the program or overhyping out of what they just believe that Miami is supposed to have versus now this is real palpable hype, but it's also really awesome infrastructure as well. And, you know, I have to kind of just swallow my Miami, you know, mocking the Miami, the U is back kind of narrative and just think that they probably are going to be back. Uh, (laughs) And to be honest, I think that's actually really good for the ACC. Um, They need a really good Miami team. Um, I can't wait for Virginia Tech to get up to par for where they should probably be to face uh, Miami once again in some pretty epic battles. And I'm looking forward to it. But 
it's, it's tough to look at this roster um, with this coaching staff and not see at least nine wins on, on the schedule. I will say I, I was saying the same things last year about Miami. I was riding the Derek King hype train and then Alabama went up 27 to three in the yeah. first half. But well, you're talking about Derek King. You're, you're, you're talking about Derek King. Um, I think it was what Rhett Lashley and Manny Diaz. Now yeah. you have, you know, Crystal Ball, you have Tyler Van Dyke and, you know, you have Josh Gaddis and Kevin Steele. I just feel like that is just the night and day difference. I get it. I just, I'm just saying I was hurt last year. They hurt me quite a bit. And I am not going to give them any expectations until they prove that they deserve them. Well, it was also tough to to see that coming, too, because, I mean, we all knew Alabama was in a rebuild year last year. I mean, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for that. I think someone was dumb enough to pick money line on that game for Miami. Not pointing any fingers, but it was definitely me. Yeah, that was a really bad choice. Um, Something to go against Miami. Look, we kind of joke, oh, they always don't live up to expectations. Statistically, it's very true. They are under 500 against the spread in each of the last five years. Under 500 against the spread each of the last five years. Um, this is not a team that overperforms. This is a team that is overhyped. This is a team that when you look, and not to get too technical, but when you're seeing these preseason odds and these over-under on win totals, a lot of what goes into this because there's so much turnover in college football is recruiting rankings. Those are built into these models and returning production is built into these models. Simply returning players is built into it. So when you have a team like Miami that recruits at a very high level and is returning some of those guys like their starting quarterback who threw for a gajillion yards against Central Connecticut State last year, it's going to boost their over-under significantly if they recruit at a high level. We see this with, we saw it with Carolina over the past few years. We see it with Tennessee. We see it with Texas A&M. We see it with USC. It happens. That's something to look out for with Miami's over-under for this year. However, I do think they are far and away the, the most talented team in the ACC Coastal. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, so... Um, even if they don't make a splash nationally, I, I feel good about them going at least nine and three. All right, here we go, fellas. Virginia Tech over under six and a half. The over is at plus 125, and the under is at minus 145. Robert, take it away. I would just like to reiterate that uh, Virginia Tech's odds to win the Coastal Division are set at plus 1,000 right now. Look, I know all of you people who probably almost all of you are in Virginia right now and can't bet on this anyway. I'm just saying, if you can bet on it, take the action, baby. Because this Virginia Tech team, I've gone back and forth throughout the whole offseason, you know, giving a new coach, you know, a little leeway, not, not putting expectations too high. Yet at the same time, if you consider the fact that Virginia Tech actually doesn't have that much attrition. If you really look at it, maybe a handful of transfers, you know, a a few guys going pro, but realistically, the Hokies are bringing back um, seven players on a defense that was 55th in total defense last year. And I know total defense in terms of like yardage is not the end-all be-all stat for um, judging a good defense, but an interesting stat with Brent Pry. He makes immense impact his first year at a program um, calling the defense. And he has confirmed that he will be calling the plays defensively. 
And so his first year at Vanderbilt, that Vanderbilt defense went from 94th in the country in total defense to 29th. And then his first year at Penn State, they went from 49th in total defense to 7th. Brent Pry never had a defense that was rated worse than 55th in his 11 years as a defensive coordinator. And Virginia Tech's defense last year was also ranked 55th. So if what Virginia Tech was last year with less competence in the defensive coordinator spot um, was the floor for Brent Pry. Imagine the heights that he can take this defense to, especially with seven starters coming back. Add on the fact that Grant Wells is a gunslinger type quarterback. He can move the ball down the field and he will be in a system with a little more competence on offense um, that utilizes some of their best players, like the tight ends, like Nick Gallo and Drake Deulis, like those are Tech's offensive strengths, and I think that they will figure out how to utilize it, create more balance. This team will be better on both sides of the ball than they were last year. I would hammer the over. I think seven wins is, is even a low bar. I think Tech could win eight, and I think that they could even, if things go right, I think they could win the Coastal Division. Am I a crazy optimistic fan, or do I make sense? I don't think it is unnecessary to be positive about the Hokies considering six and a half um i i think over i think seven and five is like the consensus guess and that's something that if you look at sports books and they're looking at again poor recruiting new coach new quarterback new top two wide receivers models are not going to like that team computers can't read the athletic.com computers can't go to the spring game computers can't see all the news out of fall practice I'm not saying this is going to be a really good football team, but I'm saying that if you're getting plus odds on this team going seven and five with this schedule, although it's not very easy, it's also not difficult. There aren't many obvious L's. They don't have to play Notre Dame. They don't have to play Clemson. NC State's a tough game. Miami's a tough game. Those are winnable games. And I, I just think overall, looking at this, there is no program in the country that needed a cold shower and a three-day juice cleanse like Virginia Tech did. I mean, it was the absolute worst hangover that Virginia Tech fans could possibly imagine. Hopefully, it is finally over. Things got really messy. Take a breath, and let's see what this team can do. Uh, you guys want to hear some positive things? Add some positives and got some negatives. Got some questions. We'll go through quick. Positive. I think there's a lot more talent on this team than people think, especially defensively. Look, this team could probably go too deep in the defensive backfield and feel pretty good about themselves. They could probably go, you know, they can probably trot out three or four linebackers and feel pretty good about themselves. Defensive line is a bit of a question, but if we look at the blitz package that Pry is going to do, the Hokies don't need as much of an edge rusher on the defensive end because they will blitz more than what Justin Hamilton blitzed. That I feel good about offensively, I think the wide receiver room could be much better. Not because they are more talented than Trey Turner or more talented than Tavion Robinson, but because they're going to be running a better route tree. I think you're going to see this team push the ball downfield, stretch defenses more. So I think you're going to see more production from the wide receiver room. And I also think you're going to see a team that's tougher and more physical running the football, especially on the goal line. If you think Joe Rudolph is going to let Brent Pry throw the football three times from first and goal in the five, you have lost your mind. He will go back to Camp Randall and back to Wisconsin if he has to hitchhike there. 
Joe Rudolph did not come to Blacksburg, Virginia, so this team could run, could pass the football in goal line situations. It's not going to happen. Now the negative with this team, paper thin on both lines of scrimmage. I mean, the two deep on the offensive line is atrocious. They're just not, they're not very good. The defensive line, I think, has some guys. Wilfred Panay is a guy who I think people are excited about. Uh, Eli Adams at the defensive end position. Cole Nelson at defensive end position. But paper, paper thin. An injury on the line, a significant injury that lasts for more than a few weeks could really derail this team. Um, I also think another fear is turnovers. I'm really high on Grant Wells. I really like him. But he is a quarterback that's a bit of a gunslinger and can throw some interceptions. Virginia Tech will not survive games when they have three or four turnovers. They might not even survive them when they have two. So Grant Wells needs to be conservative with the football in order for this team to win. I think the defense will be good, not good enough to bail out a three or four interception performance. I like Wells running the ball too a little bit. I think he's going to run the ball a bit more. He did put on some weight. He's going to feel more confident running the ball. So I think some of those at Marshall where he was just pressing the ball downfield, he might take off and run. Overall though, schedule sets up nicely. Getting to a bowl game should be an expectation. Seven wins is a big step, but I feel like it's a very realistic one. If this team takes care of Old Dominion, Wofford, Liberty, Duke, Georgia Tech, that's five. That's four. Wait, I have I have one more in there. That's five. Yes, sorry. And then they have, I'm reading my notes here, and I'm very tired of looking at a screen, so please forgive me. They only need to go three and four in the other games. Like, that's it. They, this, this team could contend for a coastal division. They really could. Because if you look at the even matchups that they'll have against West Virginia and Boston College and UNC, they're left with UVA, who they should always beat at home. Pittsburgh team without Kenny Pickett, without their best wide receiver, without their offensive coordinator. And then we don't know what we're going to get with Miami and NC State with expectations. I don't think it's out of the option for Virginia Tech to win one or two of those games against Pitt, NC State, Miami, Virginia, West Virginia. They're going to win some of those games where computers don't think they're going to. I like the over for Virginia Tech here. I think seven and five is the most likely. Eight and four is a possibility. Six and six is the floor. So I think the big questions are, can someone step up and actually run the football in the running back room? A lot of questions around Malachi Thomas right now. We don't exactly know what's going on, but can somebody else step up? Can Wells limit turnovers and still push the ball downfield? And then can Tech avoid the embarrassing, awful Virginia Tech loss to Old Dominion in week one? Because I am terrified of that game. I'm absolutely terrified. Well, ODU's offensive coordinator left, so... Uh, that was weird. Week. So he just left. It's very, very strange. I hope that lowers your fear levels a little bit. They're a really bad do, do we know if he also left to join like a seminary or something from, from their previous quarterback? Just, just throwing it out there. I did check, and I do not believe any Old Dominion quarterback is going to seminary. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm still mad about that game, as much like all of the Virginia Tech fan base. Um, I, I, I want to start by trying to see if I could throw a cold shower, maybe a little bit on some of the high-end optimism that I'm hearing right now. Uh, but everything that everyone has said to this point has been correct. And I won't I put my to... optimism at high-end. Yes. 
I'm optimistic for Media seven men. and five. <laughs> seven and men. Uh, that, to, to some that you would see in the inner circles, that is high-end optimism. Uh, a lot of people are just predicated to feel that this is going to be a complete gut job rebuild. And a lot of that has been based off of um, the perception of where the Justin Fuente program was left. Um, and then also kind of the tidbits that you're hearing from Pry himself. He's been the first person to say that, you know, this team just doesn't have as many pieces as he would like. And it's kind of been that same thing. Um, and, and I do think that that is also something to win. You just need to understand that that is coach speak for, I need my other players to step up and, and nothing more. Um, not necessarily a hit against, do those guys belong on a power five football team, which I believe they do. And I think coach Pry does as well. Um, let's just look at what the number is right now. It's six and a half. So we're looking at over being seven. So right now, you'd have to look at what comparable seasons that we'd have to look at during Fuente and then ask yourself one basic question. Is Brent Pry better than Justin Fuente? And I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just saying, like, just think about that. So we look at the 2018 ACC uh, season where they went six and seven. And if everybody remembers, that was the year from absolute hell. The entire team just got injured. Uh, that was the ODU year. Everything, I mean, that was the year where basically it was like, th th this is probably not uh, the guy with Justin Fuente. And then after that, we had two more seasons. Obviously, 2020, we won five games, but it was shortened by a game because of the COVID year. And there was obviously a lot of uh, cancellations and delays during that year. Um, but likely thinking similar in style that that's probably like another six-win team. Um, and then 2021 last year, another six wins. So we have three of the last four years of six wins under that regime with that same similar style of roster talent, 2018 probably being one of the worst years for roster talent because of all the turnover that happened. Um, and the floor was six wins. So now you have to look at tech as a program is a program that's kind of built on having a floor of six wins and pry elevating it by one more game. One of those games that we always lost in the late fourth quarter or some stupid call or some crap, you know, series of plays by the offense. You know, that was always the difference of whether or not this was always going to be a six or seven win team. That's all we're asking for. So, Sam, that's your mid-level optimism right there. That's seven wins. That's the difference. And so I do believe in that, that slight uptick from a six to a seven win program under Coach Pry. Um, just similar to what Miami is facing with having talent, not obviously the recruiting talent that Miami has, but just a, a talented roster that seemed to have just had complete apathy towards its coaching staff and not wanting to play at that next level, give that next level of effort. So I feel like that culture of what they're trying to inject into the Virginia Tech team right now um, is just going to be uh, a different approach. Everything that we're seeing right now, we're all see, really wired into what's happening, but I do feel and I see that as happening. And then you look at the last part here is just who's coaching the players at their prospective position groups from last year to this year. And that to me is the biggest night and day difference. You know, hats off to the staff and what they were given and had to perform at, you know, but, you know, the difference between having Jack Tyler as the linebacker coach and coach Brent Pry and Marv, Chris Marv, as the linebacker coaches is a complete differentiation for that position group. Same thing with Vance Weiss and Joe Rudolph. We're talking about complete transformations from a coaching perspective, which to me is what you can probably bank on a team that was 
at its absolute low, six wins. If you change all that over, we're talking about one more win. So I'm not even going to just harp on the fact that, oh, this game circle it as a win, this game that's probably lost or whatever it is. Just that difference alone to me is worth one extra win. And I'll leave it at this. Outside of ODU starts the season. The next furthest game that Tech plays is at Pitt. Their schedule and where they have to travel to in terms of the off weeks for other teams and we're coming in after those teams have faced. And if you look at it, I won't go through every single game, but we face a lot of teams where they're coming either off of a really tough game or they're in between going into a tough matchup. And Tech doesn't have to travel very far at all to interrupt their schedule. So it just lines up very well. So if this coaching staff can do the number one thing that probably needed to happen from last year, and that's maintain consistency and focus, I do believe we're going to see the potential for a special season in year one. When I say special, not necessarily ACC champions or even coastal champions, um, but just a difference in what we expect Virginia Tech to be, which is a sound defensive team, solid offensively, and capable of winning all our home games, which we usually should be because Blacksburg, one of the better, uh, just it, it is you know, one of the best home environments in all of college football. And that gives us an advantage anytime the Hokies have a home game. So um, all that being considered, seven wins, it's not a very high bar. I do think it is worth looking at if you want to be super orange moon glasses as a lock, but I'm not going to go there. So I'm just going to say seven wins, but with this high level of confidence. Let me ask this question to the two of you. And as we get ready for Old Dominion, Boston College, West Virginia, Wofford. If we look at that September slate, if you're going to feel confident about Virginia Tech going over six and a half, what does their record need to be in September? Probably three and one at the least, maybe even four now. It's tough to say because, like I said, you have to say yes or no for certain games, but um, I agree with Irby. It, it, but I don't think that's it has to be. I think that's just what it will be. Yeah, I, I think if Virginia Tech is going to put together a seven, potentially eight win season, if they're going to find a way to do that, they have to go three and one, probably four and zero oh in September. Um, just because I'm, I think what's going to hurt this team will be consistent play on the line of scrimmage, I think is going to really hurt Virginia Tech. And it's going to take them out of some games. I think some days it's going to show up and some days it's not. I'm very curious to see what this running game looks like with Joe Rudolph, though, um, and see how much pressure they can take off of Grant Wells, um, who has not yet been named the starting quarterback. We expect that to happen um, this week, though, in uh, Wednesday's media availability is when that should happen. So, all right, fellas. That'll do it for the ACC Coastal one last time. Any final thoughts? Speak now or forever hold your peace. I regret every single one of my picks. Yeah, me too, kind of, actually. we. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You guys want to just scrap this and start over? Yeah, dude, I, just can, have I can. picks. Yeah. All I have to do is not save this file, and it's no one will hear it. It's between us. No, we'll get this out, and it'll be a good time. Thank you so much, by the way. Our ACC Atlantic. 2,000 plus downloads within 24 hours. So thank you so much to everybody. We are so excited to do this season. We're going to have a lot of fun with it, especially on Twitter. A lot of graphics are coming out, some special segments. 
Uh, a lot of fun stuff planned. It's going to be awesome. Next week, we will be doing our national preview and making our picks for week zero. Fellas, we are 13 days away as of Sunday night from college football kicking off in Dublin, Ireland, Nebraska, and Northwestern. It's been a blast. We'll see you all next week. Robert, sign us out. Shout out to the new Mr. and Mrs. Ed Williams. And oh, yes. Go how Hokies. did I forget that? How yeah, did I forget well, that? They got married last night. Congratulations, Ed. Yeah, Ed, we're happy for you, brother. Go Hokies. Everything I gotta do Burdens on the very lines that they drew